0: Hello and welcome to the Act 2025 podcast, a new World Resources Institute series looking at the forthcoming COP26 climate conference from the point of view of the most climate vulnerable countries. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this podcast we're looking at
1: adaptation. The most marginalized who contributes the least to the problem still struggle the most to adapt. So why is adaptation so important to the
0: countries on the front line of climate change?
2: We see flooding, desert encroachment, drought, we see famine, we also see coastal inundation, and we see insecurity.
0: Hello, the COP26 climate negotiations due in Glasgow are seen as critical in the fight against catastrophic climate change. But what are the key issues from the point of view of low-income countries on the front line of climate change impacts? Many of them have joined a grouping called ACT 2025 to make sure their voices are heard. And this series is about the issues that are important to them. This one is about adaptation. WRI's Molly Bergen spoke to Chuks Okareke, Professor of Environment and Development at AE Funai University in Nigeria. It's one of the ACT 2025 partner organizations.
2: There is a wide range of climate impacts in Nigeria, and most of those are actually happening at great scale and frequency. One of the most pernicious one is flooding. Since 2010, actually, there has been repeated a high level of flooding events affecting a huge part of the country with thousands of people dying and a property worth of millions, if not billions, are being lost. Another massive climate impact that we see in Nigeria is desertification. A huge portion of the northern part of the country has been lost to desert as a result of massive changes in precipitation, rainfall pattern, but also increasing rate of drought. And then the third one is the wide scale loss of crop yield. My father, for example, is a farmer. When I was in secondary school, I was trained up to my university level through the proceed that comes from uh, my father's rice and yam farm. And to give you a practical illustration, a portion of land that used to yield about 50 kg uh, paddy rice now yields about two, three or sometimes four uh, 50 kg paddy rice. And my father tells me that this is as a result of drastic unprecedented changes in the weather pattern that he has never seen, and my father is 83 uh, years old. And then we also have a huge loss of water bodies. A great example in Nigeria is uh, a Lake Chad. The Lake Chad is a a lake that actually serves about four or so countries, including Nigeria, Nigeria, Chad, and Benin Republic. And over these years, the uh, Lake Chad has shrunk and lost about 80 to 85% of its original uh, surface compared to uh, 1970s. And the result of that, the shrinking of Lake Chad, is that the northern uh, headers have been moving steadily downwards uh, south in search of fodder for their cattle. And the result of it is a lot of conflict. Many, many people have lost their life as a result of this increased conflict between the headers and the farmers. We see flooding, desert encroachment, we see drought, we see famine. We also see coastal inundation and we see insecurity and the loss of various uh, water bodies as a result of climate change. Nigeria is groaning under the weight of climate impact. Climate change is costing Africa between 50 and million per year.
3: What are some particular uh, adaptations that could help Nigeria in particular adapt to some of these challenges?
2: The science is clear on the range of adaptation measures that can help poor countries like Nigeria. For example, coastal zone management. You see, the problem is that 86% of Nigerian agriculture is, is not under irrigation. And this number is similar to the rest of Africa and this means that variations in weather pattern have direct impact on the crop yield even if we have improved crop varieties or even a better information system uh, early warning systems climate insurance to farmers bringing a vast portions of agricultural land under irrigation cost to zone management system building of dams where it's necessary as well, all of these will help to forestall or at least increase Nigeria's adaptation to climate.
3: So what do you think needs to happen either before or by the end of COP26 to ensure that vulnerable countries can build the resilience needed to adapt to climate impacts?
2: Listen, Climate change and climate adaptation in particular require strong international cooperation. The UNFCCC process needs to be reinvigorated. It needs to be fully understood and endorsed that this is a collective problem and that the poor cannot be uh, left alone to their device. And by the way, in the context of such an invigorated process, attention should be paid to the issue of fairness and justice. And so, in the run-up to COP, there has to be, first of all, an acknowledgement that poor people need to be effectively represented around the table. And this requires some kind of commitment by the United Kingdom government and other developed countries to ensure that poor people are fully vaccinated, they are representatives, and fully represented. And then there has to be a massive scale up of uh, support to poor countries in form of capacity, in form of technology, and in form of finance. And we are asking for a substantial increase in grant-based and highly concessional finance, and particularly in the context of the debt stress that uh, most vulnerable countries are facing. And we think it is necessary that the volume of climate finance begins to match, at least, or comes to parity with the volume of finance that is going to mitigation. There has to be, in the context of COP as well, a need for a strong goal on adaptation. There needs to be movement or progress in how to measure and assess the needs of countries with respect to adaptation. And there has to be a dialogue to address the methodological gaps and challenges outlined in the Adaptation Committee's draft technical paper. And also, there has to be more support for local-led adaptation. All of these are necessary to uh, increase the trust, but also the practical actions that I think is fundamental in helping developing countries to grapple with the massive challenges that they are facing in terms of climate change impact.
3: Um, I wanted to ask you a little more about the global goal of adaptation, because I know that other experts have also said this is critical to create, but it does seem like adaptation is inherently much more difficult to assess than mitigation. So I wonder if you could explain a little bit more about how this goal could be set up and what it should look like.
2: Well, I acknowledge the fact that sometimes it might be more difficult to set an adaptation goal than for mitigation. But I also sometimes feel that this is sometimes like a cop-out, an excuse. Why don't we start with a a goal on increasing or doubling the grants and highly concessional finance that is going to adaptation? That would seem to me like a decent place to start. Why don't we talk about increasing finances to fund all the nationally uh, adaptation plans? that many developing countries were made to prepare, but which remains unfunded. How, why don't we talk in terms of uh, how to increase the resilience of these countries against the impact of adaptation? So there are many, many ways in which we could proceed in terms of setting a goal for adaptation. I think what is lacking is the political will and the understanding from developed countries that this is a challenge that is uh, militating against uh, the sustainable development of the poor countries. And that, by the way, that these are problems which these people did not cause themselves. And so there's a need for strong dialogue to begin to resolve some of this problem.
3: If you could say one thing to leaders of major economies, uh, especially the most developed countries regarding adaptation and the need for more support, what would you say?
2: I would ask them: how, how can you go to bed and sleep easy, knowing that climate pollution from your countries are killing thousands, if not millions, in poor countries? I will ask them to treat climate adaptation with the scale, uh, level of urgency and seriousness which they treated COVID nineteen. I will say to them that we are fed up of warm words. We don't need any more warm words. We need massive action especially in terms of finance, to get behind developing countries and rally around them to begin to implement a range or several of the excellent suggestions and options that have been identified in their nationally determined contribution, their national adaptation plan, and a range of other documents such as the third national communication. So enough of words, and let's get down to action.
0: And that was Chuck's Okareke. You're listening to a special WRI podcast series on what vulnerable countries want from COP26. Finally, as we'll do in all these act 2025 podcasts, I'm turning to WRI's Director of Climate Negotiations, Yami Danyeh. What does she want to see at COP26 on adaptation?
1: Success at this COP, we need to include a signal that we're going to improve the way we track and assess our efforts on adaptation and this can include a mandate to the ipcc to help us to do that by developing you know some guidelines the metrics that countries can use to do that more effectively and also to enable us to pull all of these data together to see how collectively we're doing to build resilience and reach the paris agreement goal on adaptation the ipcc could also produce a special report on these issues that has been neglected to explain how much effort and what still is needed globally to achieve this target. So that's one. The second one is also to make sure that, you know, more accessible and predictable support is available for adaptation. And this needs to be, you know, through pledges and replenishment of the adaptation fund, pledges through initiatives, making sure that we do have the share of proceeds under the Article 6 mechanism. So the revenue is generated by the use of market mechanisms to support countries to adapt. So you know, making sure you have those predictable sources of funding, but also to make sure that the quality of the funding is helping countries to truly adapt. You know, the support needs to be more grant-based, more concessional, you know, with more flexible conditions. And this is important because private sector does not tend to support such efforts. And in the context of debt distress, it's going to be more important for countries to get those facilitated grant-based and concessional finance.
0: And what's at stake with adaptation?
1: Why it is so important, adaptation has been long neglected in the negotiation, even if the Paris Agreement profiled these issues more than under the Kyoto Protocol, which was mitigation focused. But the most recent climate disaster showed, however, that no one is safe from the wrath of climate change. The climate, again, doesn't choose who to strike. The problem is that not everyone or every country is able to adapt or recover from the impact the same way. And the poorest, the most vulnerable communities and countries, the most marginalized, who contributes the least to the problem, still struggle the most to adapt. And that makes it also an issue of justice. And one way to take it you know, more seriously is ramping up the efforts to track, efforts to build resilience, to reduce vulnerability. And we don't have yet the metrics to do that very well. I think only 20% of climate finance is going for adaptation. So we need to make sure that for countries who have the most to lose in not adapting, to make sure that they are having more support and better access to such finance. And um, when you're in
0: Glasgow, what will you be looking out for?
1: I will be watching, you know, the commitments and pledge from developed countries. They're supposed to say whether they're going to increase the share of their support to adaptations. You know how they're going to support initiatives that were owned, you know, driven by developing countries, not what developed countries want to do necessarily. And therefore, we will need also to track, you know, whether there's initiatives from developing countries that needs to be supported. And finally, we need to see how the community, you know, all negotiators come together to better track and assess progress and seek help and mandate, you know, some work to the IPCC to help doing that in a more systematic and evidence-based manner.
0: And that was Yami danye ending this ACT 2025 podcast episode looking at what vulnerable countries want from the COP26 climate conference on the issue of adaptation. Other episodes in this series look at finance, ambition, rules and loss and damage. And you can find them all, plus much more on COP26, what it means and why it's important on our website at WRI.org Act 2025. I'm Nicholas Walton. I was joined on this podcast by my colleague from WRI's climate team, Molly Bergen. Thanks for listening.